1: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Mint Mobile. Cut your wireless bill to as little as 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/slash mission log.
2: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 347: Return to Grace.
1: Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we explore the morals, meanings, and
0: messages, and the unlikely pairings that often crop up in each and every
1: episode of Star Trek. This week, Return to Grace, where we take a deep dive into the incredibly complex Gold Dukat and try to discover what exactly is most important to his overall endgame, his ego his career, major carers respect, or maybe even his daughter Zial. But before we try and disentangle this Cardassian version of a Gordian Knot, here are some very clear ways to get in touch with us. If you'd like to chat with us, please contact us at these subspace frequencies. Mission Log Pod is where you can find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, please call us at 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And our show website, including Discovered Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I'm already trying to dissect all the different layers of Gul'dakot in this episode. So I'm not even going to try and dissect all the different layers of John's trivia in this episode. I'm just going to let him roll it out. Well, here we go. Thank you, Norman. Return to Grace. The story development
0: on this episode is one of those almost completely in-house jobs, starting with the story. Tom Benko was an editor going all the way back to TNG's pilot episode, and he worked mostly in that capacity, but also had his hand in writing and directing along the way, too. He got the story credit on DS9's third season episode, The House of Quark. Now here, it was a simple idea, teaming up former enemies to work together. Now specifically, since the Cardassians had been stand-ins for Nazis in so many ways, it was a question of Nazis and Jews working together under difficult circumstances. We had a glimpse of that in Indiscretion, so it made sense to do it here as a kind of sequel. Hans Beimler was given the task of writing the teleplay. Of course, he's a longtime Trek veteran, too, having come over from TNG as a writer, producer, and story editor. Most recently, in our rewatch, we covered his episode, The Sword of Calus. Story development doesn't end there, though. The director of this episode was Jonathan West, who we know primarily as a director of photography, following in the footsteps of Marvin Rush. He did get to direct a few episodes, though, and in this one, he actually had a hand in shaping the story. In one version of the script, Ducat and his small crew, along with Kira, would beam onto the Bird of Prey, and we would have had a lot of fighting. (laughs) Klingon bodies everywhere. It would have been a lot to stage, and it probably would have stretched the audience's believability, too. So... Jonathan's assistant director, B.C. Cameron, came up with this idea to get the Klingons off the ship by way of the transporter. They together then pitched this to Ira and Hans. They loved it after mulling it over for a while. So that is the plot point that we get here. Now let's take a look at guest stars. Well, we don't have a lot. Of course, most of the action here is about Dukat, so we welcome back Mark Alimo. We also welcome back Sia Batten as Zial. We first met her in Indiscretion. Sia will not be back on Star Trek until Voyager, and then again in Enterprise. However, we will have more appearances of Zial, played by two different actors. The Klingon captain we encounter along the way is played by John K. Shull. We have indeed seen him before on track in some small roles on TNG as a Klingon, then on DS9 as a Bajoran. He will be back for more in Voyager as a Klingon again and as other alien species. Finally, we made a Cardassian officer, Damar. Not a huge role, played by Casey Biggs. That should be a familiar name, if only because this small role turned into more appearances on DS9. 22 more, to be precise. Casey even makes an appearance in a different role on Enterprise. He went from high school jock to theater kid to a graduate of Juilliard he has an extensive on-screen resume but then as now he continues to use his background for work in live theater
2: the world weighs on Kira's shoulders but what is she to do? Ducat drives her crazy but somehow I don't think she's worried about him maybe she should be
1: prologue Major Kira is undergoing a series of nauseating inoculations from Dr. Bashir in preparations for her upcoming trip to a Bajoran and Cardassian intelligence conference regarding the current Klingon aggression. She coyly admits that First Minister Shakar was very persuasive in asking her to represent Bajor, if in fact literally being massaged into an agreement constitutes persuasion. And if the vaccinations weren't nauseating enough... Perhaps Worf's arrival to deliver Starfleet's request for Kira to refrain from sharing any technological secrets with the Cardassians inspired an immediate sprint to the lavatory. Back in her quarters, Kira is preparing for her trip as Gull. Wait, Lagette, No, no Gull. Dukat arrives to ferry her to the conference on Korma. Dukat explains that because of his past indiscretion, in fathering Zial with his Bajoran mistress, Curried no favor amongst his family or the Datapa council, relegating him to chaperoning precious cargo and dignitaries like Kira. But Dakot claims that this is only a temporary setback, and he will regain all that he has lost in time. Act 1. Aboard the Cardassian freighter Grumal, Kira is reunited with Zial, who admits that Cardassian life has been difficult. But Dukat has been strong, proud, and public about the relationship, which has cost him so much in return. Suddenly, Kira and Zial are interrupted by an alarm klaxon for battle drills. It turns out that Dukat, even though captaining a lowly cargo freighter, still demands military discipline and execution of duties to boot. Clearly frustrated with his new command, Dukat apologizes for lashing out at Kira's tactical suggestion to improve weapons readiness, and offers an olive branch in the form of dinner. Over his last bottle of Bajoran Spring wine, Dukat and Kira fall into a very familiar pattern of their usual ta tat," as Dukat sincerely thanks Kira for convincing him to spare Zial, even after paying such a high price for that decision. And as far as familiar patterns go, Dukat cannot help but depress Kira about her blossoming relationship with First Minister Shakar, going so far as to regale Kira with intelligence files of Shakar's, well, conquests. However, their dinner is interrupted by a real call to battle stations. Dukat's tactical officer, Damar, informs him that the outpost on Korma has been completely destroyed and a subspace distortion has been detected in the vicinity. As a familiar bird of prey silhouette appears on screen, Dukat utters only one word, Klingons. Act 2. As the Klingons decloak and scan the Grimaule, Dukat raises shields and prepares for battle. But Tamar and Kira both agree that the Klingons, who have lowered their shields and are vectoring away from the freighter, are quite simply unconcerned with the Grimaule's seemingly unthreatening presence. Taking their nonchalance for arrogance, Dukat orders to fire on the bird of prey in retaliation to both the attack on the outpost and to avenge the murders of the Cardassian delegates. Ignoring Kira's protest, cut fires at the Klingon ship with absolutely zero success. Adding insult to injury, the Bird of Prey turns, advances towards the Grimau, and simply warps away, proving to Dukat that there was no honor in destroying his inferior lowly freighter. Much to Dukat's surprise and delight, Kira formulates a plan to go after the Klingons. Kira wants to salvage one of the disabled disruptors from Korma and refit the superior armament into the Gromal's cargo hold. But Dakot can't seem to wrap his head around such a desperate strategy, as Cardassians have been so rigidly trained to fight from traditional Cardassian positions of might and strength. But Kira, a seasoned expert in terrorist guerrilla warfare, persuades Dakot to shed those traditions, as desperate times call for desperate measures. Act 3. With the salvaged Class V Disruptor Cannon installed, their first test proved fruitful, aside from a few critical chain reactions to power relays and plasma conduits. Having every confidence that Kira will work out the kinks in time for their eventual showdown with the Bird of Prey, Dukat sees this modicum of success also as a means to restore his nefarious reputation with the Datapa Council as well, with all due credit to Kira, of course. But she brusquely reminds Dukat that her cooperation has nothing to do with teamwork and everything to do with avenging her people, as Dukat retorts that he is also trying to do the same. Dukat freely admits that he is a complicated man, unlike the simple field-hand-turned-first minister in Shakar. And Kira, who is by now used to Dukat's overtures, simply ignores his conversational byplay and suggests that they focus on the real problem at hand, destroying the bird of prey that is still roaming freely and unchecked. Later, Kira is showing Zial the differences between Cardassian disruptors and Federation phaser rifles, favoring the Cardassian weapon for Zial's personal defense. However, their conversation takes a much more serious turn as Zial claims that Dukat is remorseful for what he did during the Bajoran occupation, and that she can't see her father as being the monster and murderer Kira claims him to be. Kira looks intently at Zial and tells her that Dukat wants something from her that she can never give him. Forgiveness. Back on the bridge, Kira and Dukat try to anticipate the Bird of Prey's next target. He informs her that the civilian outpost on Laval is secretly housing a weapons research installation, a prime target for the Klingons. Dukat proposes to lure the Bird of Prey to them by making it seem that the Grimal is hauling dilithium, which he believes would be too enticing for the Klingons to ignore. All they need after that is one good shot. Upon reaching Laval, they set their trap and lay in wait. And wait. And wait. And before Kira suffers another of Dukat's grand soliloquies, the bird of prey decloaks. Act 4. Damar informs Dukat and Kira that they have been scanned and that the bird of prey's disruptors have targeted them. The Klingons have taken the bait and hail the Grimald to demand its identity and cargo. Dukat sells the ruse that they are simply ferrying spare parts to the dopa system and the Klingons lock onto the Grimal with a tractor beam. Kira's plan is working perfectly, and as the Bird of Prey tows the Grimaule in closer, Kira opens the cargo bay doors, and Dekat orders her to fire that one disruptor burst that they need to cripple the Bird of Prey. But the battle is far from over. Returning fire, the Klingons critically hit the Grimaule, and Dekat looks to Kira for another of her famed improvisational combat tactics. As the Klingons scramble to get their disruptors functioning, Kira and Dekat beam aboard the Bird of Prey and thanks to Kira's access to Klingon transporter codes, managed to swap crews, beaming the Klingons to the Grimal and the Cardassians, including Damar and Zial, to the Bird of Prey. Dukat seals the victory by destroying the Grimal with a disruptor barrage that was originally meant for them. Kira, however, is far more interested in the tactical intelligence that she's mined from the ship's computer. Dukat, with the very first Klingon Bird of Prey ever captured by Cardassians, Coupled with the intelligence of all Klingon raider activity in the sector, he is all but guaranteed reinstatement to his former stature on Cardassia. But his celebration is short-lived as his superiors wish to use the Klingon tactical data to discuss diplomatic solutions instead of crippling them under Cardassian military control. Dukat vilifies his leaders in front of Kira as being something she's never known of their race, submissive and fearful. But Dukat who sees himself as a bastion of true Cardassian will, decides to take the fight to the Klingons, with or without the support of his people. Act 5. Filled with self-righteous cause and a disbelief at the weakness of his government, Dukat has vowed to wage a one-man war against the Klingon Empire. Kira understands his position better than most, and Dukat appeals to that very understanding, trying to recruit not just her influence to his cause, but her tactical guerrilla fighting skills as well he makes an impassioned plea to Kira and tries to make her come to terms with her need to fight for a cause worthy of that which she used to fight for during the Cardassian occupation, the war against injustice and tyranny. But this time, it is against a new enemy, and this time for the Cardassians. As Kira contemplates Dakat's proposal, Zial asks Kira to train her so that she can fight at her father's side against the Klingons. But Kira sees something familiar than just training a soldier to fight against her oppressors. She sees Zial, an innocent girl who has been unfairly caught up in a war that isn't hers to fight, and who deserves a far better future than one of bloodshed, of vengeance, and of the physical and emotional scars of war. Kira decides not only to distance herself from Dukat's crusade, but to take Zial with her back to Deep Space Nine, in order to give Zial a real chance at a normal life. A life full of promise, of hope, and a life that Kira never had the chance or the choice to live, but now can vicariously, through Zial, who has finally found a place in the universe that will accept her for who and what she is. The end. So, I
0: mean, come on, uh, of course we have to start out the episode with reference to a planet-wide outbreak. I mean, I I hope that my surprise at that is a confusing reference for people 20 years from now, if someone hears this show for the first time then. But for now, as we record it, come
1: on, come on. (laughs) It's coincidental, but we're trying to be evergreen, but it's still coincidental. Right,
0: exactly. So there's your not evergreen reference uh, for this episode. Uh, although that scene uh overall pretty entertaining, pretty great. I mean Nana plays the comedy, the setup is fun. You got Worf as a straight man, always the, the world's best straight man. It's a fun nauseatingly bit. so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's a good bit. It's a fun bit. And I like Ducat and Kira's conversation at the top of the show. Now we can talk about whether or not Dukat is on the level with a lot of things that happen through the rest of the episode, but that first conversation when he comes in, saying, "No, you you were right. Like I lost all of these things, but you were right. That it it's just nice to hear, you know." Um, do you believe him though, or do you think that this is just still Ducat being Ducat? I I don't believe anything except for the worst parts of him, <laughs> right? Right now, after watching this episode, oh no, yeah, no. Uh, but but I don't know. I maybe that that one moment kind of brought me in. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, my bigger concern was as they left that scene. Uh, who will watch Kira's fruit bowl? She left a lot of fresh fruit in that bowl. She might be gone for days and days and days. We don't know.
1: Will Odo? Because Odo's been kind of scorned. Oh. Hmm. Odo. (laughs) Odo.
0: Interesting. Uh, Look, I mean, I know it's not important to our understanding of the plot, but if the Cardassian outpost had such powerful disruptors... Did anyone have a chance to fire them when the Klingons first showed up? I mean, it just seems like this was something completely by surprise, which I get, but you're also talking about
1: Cardassians who basically have a military society. True enough. And I was I was thinking about the same thing, though. I know that the Klingons were able to disable them, not destroy them, because mm-hmm. that adds to the plot. Oh, and, right, right. yeah. You know. But where did the technology get shelved from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, where Klingon birds of prey can fire while cloaked. It can't be the only one. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, of course, it was a prototype bird of prey, but military secrets, they're just not stored on the on the ship itself. I'm like, nope, we're going to create this one prototype ship, yeah, and it's going to do this one thing that no other ship can do. And, of course, when we get destroyed, we're going to take all of our secrets with us. I don't think that's the case. I think somewhere along the line, yeah. maybe bird of prey ships can fire while cloaked. In this timeline, I don't know. Well, it have I'm to not... be in, and,
0: and you're talking about an event that occurred a hundred years ago from the time that we're watching this story. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I just, I think that somewhere along the lines, people kind of forget about. Oh yeah, that's right. They could do that thing. Yeah. Exactly. With the primitive technology and the prototype technology that they created. What happens when you take that and just kind of multiply the technological advances a hundredfold? Right. Do you think that could still happen? Yeah. I think so.
0: Yeah. Good point.
1: Good point. Speaking of technology, I, I do like
0: that scene comparing the Federation phaser rifle to the Cardassian weapon. I mean, there's nothing super deep there, but hey, for me, it it just... Shows off the props very nicely, <laughs> uh, oh, sure. you know, and yeah. it, but it, you know it, it does serve the characters as well. I mean, uh, Kira, the, this has been Kira's life is having to yeah. understand this stuff, and then uh, sort of the the necessity, but also the heartbreak of having to explain this to a kid who shouldn't have to know these things.
1: And this is kind of where Kira's story starts to take over because. Yeah let's let's go all the way back to say when she first met Worf in, in you know all the way back to the first two episodes of of season four mm-hmm. she's not comfortable relaxing on the hollow deck or doing these things with Dax that try and get her out of her shell. She's a soldier she was raised in in wartime, and that's all she knows, yeah, so field stripping or checking out you know weaponry or understanding how to like, disassemble it with your eyes closed and reassemble it, you know, in under 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's her. Mm-hmm. That's who she is. Mm-hmm. And now she's kind of passing that knowledge, like, uh, almost subconsciously to Zial. But this is the scene I was talking about earlier, yeah. where when she was kind of doing the whole quality check on these weapons, mm-hmm. she opens up a panel and then she closes a panel. Mm-hmm. And I think it's called... Okay, so I have this thing. It's at 2117 in the episode. Okay. When Kira is handling the Federation phaser rifle, the recharge panel shakes loose, and you can see it dangling for a second before she flips the rifle over to show Zial more of the features.
0: Uh, okay. Okay, yes. You are right. I yeah something about
1: that looked funky and that's what that Rarely is. do you see something like that and yeah. I don't even think that uh Nana even kind of flubs an um in there cuz she's like uh, um right. okay <laughs> like, right and then uh Jonathan West was like it's fine we're moving on we're moving on <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure. Yeah. this yeah. Is like, You know, uh, you know, uh, film stock costs dollars yeah. and actors cost money mm-hmm. and seconds cost time and money. They're all waiting. For but a it was lunch. just one of those things yeah. where, yeah, they're like click open, click open. And then she flips it over. She's starting to talk about kind of like the, the balance and the stability of it. And when she does that, I think that Nana inadvertently kind of just shakes the magnetic clasp loose ah. and it falls into frame. And I'm like, that's odd. And when she flips it over, she's like, and, um, okay, we're good. <laughs> As I was saying, this thing is yeah. super complex and might break, so Ex- don't use it. <laughs> you- it was just an odd flub. Again, the uh, the timestamp on that from yeah. when I was watching it on Amazon Prime is 2117.
0: That's very cool. You go take a look. I, I love stuff like yeah. that. It just sort of puts you into the reality of production, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that said, all that said, the- that there are good scenes with Kira and Zial, Allowing us to see Dukat through zial 's eyes, so again, we you know talk about the layers of complexity of uh, Dukat. do we believe anything well, Zial does, and interesting to uh, to see that little slice uh, of uh, of him through her by the way, just from a production point of view, I love the use of all the Klingon set pieces here um, oh, totally. and, and especially there's that one shot of Kira kicking a klingon into a panel that explodes that was just over the top and wonderful and i loved every second of it but those those sets are lit beautifully the warm light back on the actors just looks terrific
1: it's interesting that they use these palettes now to kind of visually describe the cultures of yes. the two different ships because yeah. i think it starts with i'm not even sure is as warm uh, in Star Trek Three, The mm-hmm. Search for Spock, when we see you know Commander Krug's ship, that's a little bit of a colder atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. But ever since TNG, you're seeing kind of this this amber tone, this warm you know kind of palette that designates a Klingon ship.
0: Yeah, and they really you know, changed know. that up for Star Trek Four, which I thought was cool. So it, same ship, supposedly, though they redressed it, but you even right. changed the lighting scheme a little bit to make it. A little more flattering for our cast, <laughs> you know.
1: I'm so surprised that Shatner didn't fight for the throne style of command chair. Yeah, right, had. right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I yeah, love he was, those. He was up there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I
0: do love those sets as well. I mean, that the I'm not a huge fan of. Klingons to begin with, just, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Look, I'm a Star Trek fan. Of course, I love Klingons. But in terms of uh, a complex and interesting alien species to, to dissect and follow, very interested in Vulcans, very interested in Cardassians, which we're talking about here, Klingons never really did it for me. But ever since the motion picture, really, you know, that bridge of that Klingon ship that we got to see, just fascinating, great, detailed design and i love how iterations of that keep coming back and they really take advantage uh like you were saying that that sort of design language and the lighting in particular to define that space uh it, it's just very cool to see that level of consistency over decades
1: i don't know if you noticed this john but when kira and dakot beamed on board i guess would have been the weapon section mm mm-hmm. There was a Klingon just kind of hanging out there, sitting down, yeah. and he was kind of kind of, kind of caught unawares. He was. And yes. it was, just That was strange to me. Like they are literally on high alert, and they are in you know a battle scenario, <laughs> and all of a sudden this guy's just kind of like, "What's up, dude?" He was like, he was like the dude yeah. right, on a Klingon ship, <laughs> right? And all Completely. of a sudden he stands up and just gets smoked by Kira. Gets kicked into. Was that the same guy that got kicked into a panel? I, I
0: think it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, that's what happens when you sit down on oh, the job. Oh, exactly. Pal. You're
0: going to get kicked into right. a panel. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you had one job. You had one job clean on security guy. Uh, I love it.
0: Yeah. All right. So, do explain one thing to me, Norman. Uh, mm-hmm. They come back in their cool stolen bird of prey, which is an awesome ride for all of them to have. They get to DS9, and O'Brien says, uh, Wow, this mysterious bird of prey just decloaked. It's Gold Ducat. wouldn't Kira call DS9? Wouldn't she be the one? Uh, As soon as they come out of wherever they just came from, and when you're a good long way away, but you're within uh, communications range, hey, it's Kira, don't be surprised, don't shoot. You would think that would be the smart
1: play. Yeah. As opposed to... I am a Cardassian, you know, former minister of the military, and I have a Very Klingon bird of prey under my ship. command. So <laughs> hi, guys. Let me dock. Yeah. <laughs> right. Doesn't work like that. But, you know, I, I found the, the end of this episode really interesting because we're we're obviously talking about uh, the um, kind of like a soft sequel or a bookend to Indiscretion. And we yeah. covered that before. And I found it interesting that, and forgive me, uh, listeners, send all the emails to John about this, but... (laughs) They always do. (laughs) The directors for uh, Indiscretion and for this, Return to Grace, were different directors.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: However, they chose to end the episode on the exact same framing style for both episodes on top of the upper promenade in the exact same location where Ducat... First took Zial back to Cardassia, and now Kira takes Zeal to her new life on Deep Space Nine, the exact same place. Wow. And I found that really interesting as if, okay, Dakot, you had your turn with Zeal, and now Kira, you have your turn at Zeal disembarking literally from the same location.
0: That is a fascinating find. By the way, LeVar Burton directed Indiscretion. That's right. That's so right. right yeah. There you go. But yeah, that and you have to wonder if Jonathan West, in his directorial duties, obviously went back and watched. Uh, well, he had worked on Indiscretion in some capacity anyway, mm-hmm. but must have gone back to watch and just go, okay, are there thematic uh, uh, connections to find here? And what a great inspired ending to do exactly that.
1: Well, I have to believe that there are obviously production assets that they have at their disposal. This particular angle and shot and setup, definitely, you know, they have to use over and over and over again. But I just found it really nice in just in terms of the detail of, of bookending this encapsulated storyline of Dukat, Kira, and Zial yeah. in that fashion. I thought that was really smart.
2: Pop Quiz. Song lyrics or Dukat's grocery list? Another war, another wasteland, another lost generation. Submit your answers at the end of the show.
1: We'll get back to Return to Grace in a moment. But first, a word from Mint Mobile. Have you taken a look
0: at your wireless bill lately? Because I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Uh, If you do you'll probably notice that you're paying too much. I mean, look, it's 2020. Network coverage is everywhere and it's better than ever, no matter your wireless provider. So why are you paying more for the same exact service? That's where Mint Mobile comes in. They can cut your bill down to 15 bucks a month for the same premium coverage that you were paying more for elsewhere. I know what you're thinking, this is too good to be true, but these guys know what they're doing. I have been using Mint Mobile. I have to honestly say that my experience has been the same. First of all, it is very easy to set up. Everything is done online. So don't have to go to a store, don't have to be upsold on something. I get to choose the plan that I want. And then the coverage is the exact same coverage I would be getting otherwise. So with your old wireless bill, you are actually paying for retail stores and tremendous overhead. So that's why Mint Mobile came along and reimagined completely how you buy wireless and made it all online. Those savings then go to you. So Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk, plus text, and crazy fast 4G LTE. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day
1: money-back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com. That's mintmobile.com. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com dot com slash mission log
0: all right Goldicott norman Goldicott formerly legate decott uh, just on a uh, a one name basis with him, just decott um mm-hmm. i'm fascinated i'm I'm utterly fascinated by him, like I was saying earlier in the show, really all the Cardassians, the Cardassian experience their culture, I think is one of the best developed that we've gotten out of Star trek. There's a lot going on here, with his desire to regain his political power, and interestingly, that seems also tied into his self worth, uh, as it maybe connects to his personal relationships too. It's partly this the this sense that his manliness. Is on the line here, and and this is well before we're using terms today like toxic masculinity. But he is just uh, lousy with it. You know,
1: John, I mentioned this earlier in my opening statement, but it's true. It's like what is most important to Dacot at this moment? Is it his ego? It is his career. How he's trying to manipulate Kira's feelings towards him. It always seems that Zial is kind of taken a back seat to. Basically his whims, like whatever is important to Goldicott at this time. And at this time it's his trying to repair whatever damage that he's done to himself because he has literally publicly accepted Z- Zial as his daughter and he's lost so much in the process. So he's kind of overcompensating in a way. Well, not only is it that there there's also
0: yes, he is overcompensating. It's the—and and look, I, I'm not saying anything that's surprising or shocking. He, he is the adversary of the show. He is one of the adversaries of the entire series. So, of course, he's going to have all these disturbingly complex attributes. But part of the thing here is his entitlement. It's sort of this smug confidence that whatever he decides to do is the right decision, And even if there is a setback or failure along the way, like with his family, even, again, by doing the right thing, which is to not kill Zial and bring her back home with him, well, this is just a minor thing. Uh, Being demoted, that's just a a setback. I will have all of that back again, because... In time. Yeah, in time. In time. Because, damn it, nobody can tell me otherwise. It, it it really is a setup for this uh, almost sociopathic personal drive that he has.
1: You know, there's an old saying that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That's been attributed to Wayne Gretzky. That's been attributed to Michael Jordan. But it's true. And in this case, Ducat, he just literally gives Kira both barrels almost at every turn. For... A variety of different reasons for basically trying to propagate his own agenda, trying to allure her to his stature, to stroke his own ego, and obviously to justify exactly what happened with uh, the, the the tanking of his career because he accepted Zial as his daughter publicly. He, right now, he's you know what he loves. I think being able to just kind of be this peacock, this Cardassian peacock yeah. that just kind of struts around and uh plumes his feathers and says, Look, everything is happening according to my design. Right. Everything that has transgressed has because is because I wanted it to, to be so. Yeah. And sure I took a setback. But I did it for the right reasons. You know? Right. Can you say the same? Of course not, but don't worry, I will be back. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, that it it does make you question what the
0: actual underlying motive is. And we, we look at this bizarre friendship, work relationship that he has with Kira, that he's trying to stoke with Kira. Is it really about her? Is it really because he is into her? Or is it just because this is what he does and he is going to, quote, win around this no matter what i mean to be clear i am very creeped out by his obsession with kira for so (laughs) many reasons he i mean he was the enemy in a profound way not not just the annoyance he was the enemy in a profound way the occupier of beijor responsible for the deaths of her friends and and her countrymen he shouldn't be trying to make anything happen with her and, and yet Here he is doing it. And and I get that he's sort of lost if we were to build any kind of sympathy for him at all. And his entire existence is wrapped up in what he can accomplish or or how much power he has. But he's not going to learn anything here. I, I just, I feel like he won't, no matter what. I wanted out of this episode to see Kira absolutely much more boldly putting him in his place. She does it a little, But it's almost like a workplace harassment level of discomfort. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of wrap up the episode with these quasi-friendly feelings. It's just that we've seen Kira be a lot bolder before. And if she is going to let that part of her come out, boy, this is the time to let it come out. I wanted to see a roundhouse kick to the face at some point. Now, I do love that Kira takes Zial under her wing, because it's not about Dukat, it's about compassion. It, it is about doing the right thing, regardless.
1: So I, I love that bit of redemption built into this story. Well, I definitely agree that there's there's an infatuation that Dukat has that's kind of coloring his his actions and his opinions towards Kira. I mean, there's that old saying that enemies make strange bedfellows. You know that's one of kind of like the uh, tropish ideals that this this particular episode leans on. I mean, Dakot has an infatuation with Kira. He loves how strong she is. He, He loves how independent she is. How she's really good at the kind of stuff that he enjoys being military minded, being being this guerrilla tactical warrior woman. That he feels that if if she joins his side. It will only bolster his position and round out like the his capability as being this military advisor to Cardassia. Yeah. It's as if there's a part of his his yang that needs her yang mm. in a way, mm-hmm. right? Because he says that you know uh, you're you're doing something. You're you are this part of this uh, the Shakaar resistance that we couldn't beat. You beat us. I have to respect that because you beat the Cardassian military machine with nothing but hopes and dreams and desire and willpower. So if I get you on my side, I complete my victory over everything that you stand for.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. It's another version of winning that fight. Yeah, you know, so he, he can't let it go no matter what. He can't just walk away and say like, oh, well, that that was the past. Uh, I'll find somebody else to be now. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about kind of where Kira is coming from here. It, you know, at the end of last week's episode, you brought up this interesting idea that that really got me fired up because i had been it had been stuck in my head about that episode where Kira and Odo have, have this you know uncomfortable back and forth because it's not a back and forth; it's just Odo's obsession, and I felt like we were just using Kira as a prop to explore Odo's emotional life, which is all centered around her relationship with Shakar, conveniently there to fill Beryl's role, since we killed off Beryl. And now, and maybe, maybe it's just because this episode follows right after that one. It feels like we're doing it all over again, maybe to a lesser degree, but Kira feels like the prop by which we get to explore Ducat's inner life. And maybe his inner and outer life have no delineation because it's just all about what can I grab? What do I gain from this? What is my advantage here? I don't know precisely what the fix is for that. Maybe even just separating those episodes by a little bit would have helped. But it feels a little lazy like we're revisiting some of those same tropes where there is an opportunity to dig in more to what makes Kira tick. But Mm -hmm. here's the thing. I I say all that without sort of, uh, I don't want to completely denigrate that we did get quality material out of Kira this time compared to last week. But if we're going to do a similar thing where she's just the object for what's going on, I still want more. I want more
1: out of her. And like I said, I don't want that round roundhouse kick to the face. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I agree that perhaps her, the exploration of her relationship with Odo and Shakar Is too close to very similar sentiments that are being kind of like, you know, laid out in this episode because obviously, Ducat loves being able to kind of troll and dig at Kira about Shakar. He's jealous in a way. Yeah. He's like, how could you, you know, be infatuated with this simple field hand turned terrorist turned (laughs) first minister who obviously is. Has his own harem of conquests, and you're just being a part of it. Now that may be true; that may be not true. That's just Dekat kind of twisting the knife and seeing Kira's reactions in a way. Yeah, I agree. I agree that in, in one way, where we saw in Shikara that maybe you know Odo wasn't the best way to to, to kind of dis- disseminate like you no know, Kira's feelings towards somebody else aside from Vedic Barile, mm. but. Decote is such a strong force of character that you can't help but not entirely trust his motives. Yeah, with what's going on yeah. here. Like I understand that he's infatuated with Kira. I understand that after Indiscretion, which is where we last left their relationship off. I just have to believe that I know that there's something else at play here. And we got a lot of uh we got a lot of listener comments to Indiscretion saying that you guys are being a little too kind of um oh what's the word paranoid maybe <laughs> or you know or, or maybe too harsh you know on decott like you know like dakot is that you know he he has a chance for redemption he takes a chance for redemption blah 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 but i don't know man it's just dakot is like working on such a different level he's operating like 12 steps ahead of everybody and to be honest there was a point in time watching this episode where I felt that he actually engineered the attack on the Korma station. Yes, Yeah. Just <laughs> I bet you to did. prove, <laughs> yeah, no, just to prove, just to prove to Kira that look, I'm going to defend the Cardassian and Majoran's honor and avenge the death of our delegates. But I actually secretly asked the Klingons to actually destroy the base uh. so that I can show you <laughs> I'm taking action. Now that's not true, obviously, but I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, I I think you're totally right. Right that you wouldn't
0: put it past him. Now, I <laughs> don't agree that that happened, obviously. But uh, I, yeah, I mean, look, I was the one who, when we were covering Indiscretion, said that I was moved by the Cardassians' tears. I wanted to believe that emotional moment. I, I still think that the things that led up to him reuniting with Zial we genuine. I still think that, you know, maybe he didn't learn anything from Kira saying, don't kill her. Maybe there was some other advantage he could see in there. For whatever reason, he changed his mind. But regardless, this Ducat is a Ducat who is trying and maybe, maybe not succeeding at three dimensional chess or or many more dimensions beyond that, but he, he is the guy who's trying to be several steps ahead. And whatever it is, that is his obsession with Kira, it is not just simply, he's got the hots for her. there is a manipulation involved there, there's an entitlement, there's a, a word that I used before already on this. And there's this that and his professional life all wrapped up in his self worth his value as a Cardassian, which again, he can be despicable. But it also makes him completely
1: fascinating. But I think the one thing that that Kira tells Zial, and I think it's it's the crux of his motivation, is that Kira will never give him the one thing that he wants from her, and that's forgiveness. That's so important to Ducat moving forward because he knows that he has— I'm not saying that he's taking a moral turn, but he understands that he has done some pretty unsavory things— during the course of the the Cardassian occupation of Bajor, of which that Kara had fought against with Shakar. And now that they are in this new space, this new alliance that they're trying to forge against the Klingons, he needs her to reconcile her feelings towards him, whether romantic, I'm probably sure that he wants, but definitely from the forgiveness perspective, because he wants to move past... His transgressions, as this other ducat, this ducat that of his past. Yeah,
0: but but see, here's the thing: I, forgiveness to what extent? Because it's one thing to say, "I need forgiveness because I I need to I need to be accepted, and I I need to uh, atone for what I did before. I need that forgiveness so I can feel whole again." Or from this very possessive and selfish decot, I need forgiveness because then it basically clears me. Because then I can walk into a room and say, like, "Oh yeah, that whole uh, Bajoran thing. Oh, we're good now. I got forgiveness, all all oh, taken care of."
1: I'm totally on that. Yeah. Okay. That's that's that. Yeah. Okay. That's the kind go, of go, go. Believe me. Like it, when when listeners listen to my feelings on Dakot and indiscretion, that's the Dakot that I believe is still operating at this level in this episode. Gotcha, gotcha. It's not that he's trying to find some type of like moral cleansing here. Yeah. It's that once Kira forgives Descartes for what he did, Descartes claims all influence over her because that's the one thing that he has not been he has not been able to break her for is her forgiveness. Her her, uh, his, uh, her, basically her acceptance of what he did and her forgiveness of those atrocities. And once he does that, he owns Kira. He breaks her from every single aspect of why she despises Dakot. And in doing so, now he's like, okay, that being done, that being said, now I can start this new agenda of trying to manipulate her to now physically, emotionally come over to my side. But until that happens, until those transgressions are forgiven, she will never be able to make that leap. And that's something that is so profoundly disturbing to him because according to him, he's been able to do that to everybody at his discretion, except her. And I think that makes her even more, Exotic and enticing and irresistible because it's the fruit, it's the forbidden fruit that can never be tasted. Uh, that's why if I can that's say that's that. why I want
0: to see her take him out.
2: <laughs> Did you all learn the lesson that it's cool to be so tough? Let's check in with John and Norman to find out.
1: So at the end of the show, as we do on Mission Log traditionally, because like Cardassians, we we respect tradition and we respect what we do here, and we—I mean—who are we to be able to you know stray from tradition? But we will if we have to. Anyway, I digress as I usually do. John, how did you feel about this episode as we talk about the morals, meanings, and messages? Does this episode hold up for you? You know, every now and then I'll make this statement
0: about a Star Trek episode or or season or series or whatever where I'll say that – i respect and enjoy the ideas of a story even if the mechanics of the story don't work for me well this is one of those episodes where i feel like the mechanics actually work really nicely like every little plot point moves along well logically and they help to serve the characters exploring what they're doing so yeah structurally and and from a character versus plot point of view i I think it actually works really well the intrigue with boarding the Klingon ship reminds me of uh, the U 505 and stories like that. Not exactly the same thing, but similar thing. In essence, the U 505 German U boat, American sailors boarded that after a battle. The Germans had tried to scuttle their ship, but the Americans saved it. And for their efforts, they found an Enigma machine and code book to go along with it. So I thought of that when not only did you have Kira and Dukat boarding this uh, Klingon vessel and taking it, but then she finds all of their targeted uh, locations, and th- this is uh, a great piece of intelligence to walk away with. So I-, I was hooked by that part of the story anyway. So in very many respects, I think the episode holds up. It works. Mark Limo is always intriguing as Dukat I love that we get to see this aftermath of what happened when he found his daughter. I also, you know, I I enjoy just sort of getting one up on the Klingons and stealing a ship. Overall, this is made well. It moves well. If I had to say there's something that doesn't sit well with me, it's again, going back to what I was saying in the last segment where what are we doing here that really serves Kira? We got to serve Kira here better than we did last week, but it was a lot of just Kira being there so we can explore all of this bizarre unsettling psychology of Ducat. And I want more from her. I want her to really mm. put her foot down and really yeah. be even stronger than she was here. But we've got more to go with all of these characters. So I'm all right with seeing that unfold and see if I feel the same way a couple of years from now. <laughs> I'm not sure. But yeah, to take it on its own, I think the story works uh works very well. How about
1: you? You know, at first I didn't care for this episode actually that much, uh the first time I watched it, the first time I reviewed it for this show, because I felt that it was very tropish and obviously you had these themes of The soldier becoming the resistance fighter, and the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend, and now we have a common enemy to fight against, and these are the things that I'll be able to use to manipulate Kira one more time. Because it's easy to be able to associate this episode with indiscretion and continue Gul'dakar's manipulation of Kira. And I, I like how you brought in our, our previous episode when we were talking, uh, Shakar, when we were talking about, you know, how how Kara was just kind of like, um, almost like a centerpiece. She didn't really integrate herself or interact herself or, or even uh, just uh, influence the episode as opposed to being the one who was being influenced by either both uh, Shakar or, or Odo's feelings. But in this episode, as I watched it and continued to study it, I felt that... Kira's story started to take over in ways that I didn't see the first time around. And I think that started with when she um, started training Zial on weaponry. Yeah. Because now you're looking at Zial as almost uh, uh, some type of a, of a stand-in for Kira. Yeah. Because yeah. when Kira grew up, when Kira was growing up in the Shakar resistance and resisting the Cardassian occupation, she was a child, much like Zial. And all she starts doing in her first few steps in her relationship with Zial is training her to become a soldier. Not training her to have her own life. Not, not giving her the opportunity to think and choose how she wants to govern her life. Because Kira had no choice. Yeah. Right? She had to fight. Yeah. It was either fight or become occupied or subjugated into the Cardassian regime. Zial has the choice, but the first thing that Kira responds to and reacts to is being a soldier. Very much like every single thing that she did on the on the Grimal was a tactical decision that Decot needed, based on her experience as a terrorist fighter, and she was really good at slipping into that skin. Yeah, because that's who she is, not the diplomat that was nauseated. At the fact of being a diplomat earlier on in the episode, so right. Kira's arc is far more layered in this episode than I gave it credit for at the beginning. I thought it was going to be DeCote's episode. Yeah, I, no, I mean, I, I I don't disagree with you. I I,
0: I think that like the Kira Zial growth moments are very interesting. That that's the thing that I want to see more of. And we'll you know again we'll we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, I think there's something interesting to the idea of seeing Kira help develop Zial so she doesn't go down the wrong path. That, uh, you know that that's something very nice to see. So the, there are definitely redeeming things about Kira in this episode. It's this sort of under the weight of what's all happening with Dukat. And, and by the way, just so we don't get letters about it, last week's episode was Crossfire the strangely oh. named episode shakar of course go back to last season where you introduced the character of shakar just yeah. strange because you, you were right when you said they should have switched the names of those episodes in hindsight
1: so you're right crossed Dun- yeah how can i forget that i even trademarked that theme
0: yeah. it's, it's easy to forget because it's a misnamed episode but yes Truly. yeah. What about morals, meanings, messages? Was there a message here to uh, to mine out of all of this?
1: Well, for me, I mean, I think that there's this a very standard yet applicable trope of uh, enemies make strange bedfellows. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because where we are with Dukat's and Kira's relationship, sure, he's attracted to her physically. I'm attracted to her physically. Right? Yeah. I mean, as yeah. as a hetero male, I'm attracted to her physically, but in, in Dukat's Uh, the way that he sees her is that not only am I attracted to her physically, but I need to manipulate her to come to my side. Right. That's what we're talking about in indiscretion. And that's what we were talking about here. Once he owns that from Kira, once Kira gives him that level of control over her past and her, her beliefs of what she has done, during the Bajoran occupation and say, hey, you know what, you know, I understand what you're doing. I'm going to come on your side because of this Klingon aggression, and we're going to work together. Once that happens, once she even lets him in the door just a little bit, Dukat will springboard that into a victory. Yeah. And as a military man, he can't help but be, uh, I guess, attracted to her as a soldier, a warrior. And he's infatuated with her ingenuity, her resourcefulness. But I also think that there's something that even attracts him more, and that's her ruthlessness. She's ruthless when she needs to be. She is resourceful when she needs to be. And I think, by and large, he wants her almost as if an equal partner in his machinations to come.
0: Yeah. See, I I wonder if there is any message to be found about Takat here. And... I I kind of worry that maybe the message is that uh, you know once a bad guy always a bad guy that that he's he's somebody who can't be trusted no matter what so may, maybe there isn't something to be gained from him but it, it's sort of a downer of a message if we're pinning if we're pinning this on him about what he's up to and what he's getting out of all of this I do think that for me, there is a uh, a positive message, which was Kira telling Zial the best way to survive a knife fight is never to get in one. We've seen Kira grow from being kind of not sure of herself going from terrorist to a Bajoran official on Deep Space Nine, to sort of living under this quasi Starfleet set of rules, but it's not really white starfleet exactly because it's ds9 and now be the person to say no it, it it's not right to fight you shouldn't want to be in that position it, it's cool to see that growth out of her sometimes the best move is to not play at all you know <laughs> that's that's well y- done Warcraft. yeah yeah so that's uh that's what we're at least something
1: that i'm getting out of her is her lesson to see well, one of the things I also think that was a message that I came away with is that Dukat and Kira are almost kind of like divorced parents, right? Mm-hmm. Who can't reconcile their differences between themselves, but they can put aside their differences for their child, in this case, Zial. Because, I mean, Zial obviously isn't biologically Kira's. Mm-hmm. But because Kira made that plea for Ducat to spare her at the Breen camp, Now Kira is responsible for her life. She pleaded for her life and Dukat gave that to her. At that moment, Kira became entangled in both Dukat's and Zial's life as much to her chagrin with that aspect of Dukat's life. But there's this also uh, almost a parallel emotional connection that Kira is making with her soul and how she was damaged uh, as a child uh, during the occupation of Bajor, and how the that occupation that war for that struggle has kind of forged her is is this what is fated for Zial if Kira becomes her guardian, her mentor, you know her confidant, the person who 's going to raise her on this on deep space nine i mean is is this the fate of this innocent girl right? is she going to train her in the ways that Kira only knows how to train this girl so i think that's interesting is this the future for, for Zial, who Kira spared but only to subject her later to the horrors of war because she just wants to follow Descartes' agenda i am not the uh, i am not the product of divorced parents but i i have seen and have friends and have relationships with people who have gone through the struggle of divorced parents. And each parent seems to have chosen their children to be the vessel of their agendas. Mm. And in turn, those children have not had the opportunity, the choice to make the lifestyle that they want for themselves, as opposed to trying to appease either side of their parents.
0: Well we'll hope for the best for Zial, and hey we'll get to check in with her from time to time <laughs> we're we'll going to see how this plays out over another couple of years Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment executive producer Rod Roddenberry Mission Log is a part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network visit us at podcast.roddenberry.com and enjoy the entire family of podcast entertainment including Women at Warp Priority 1 the Trek Files your daily Star Trek news and shabam. Shabam! If you would like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
1: On the next Mission Log, Sons of Moog.
2: I'm not missing out on the promise of adventure. So, same time next week.